The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM is brought to you by the Showrunner Podcasting Course, your step-by-step guide to developing, launching, and running a remarkable show. Registration for the course is open August 3rd through the 14th, 2015. Go to showrunnercourse.com to learn more. That's showrunnercourse.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediaphile. And each week, we'll find out how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. The showrunner behind multiple top-ranking podcasts and vice president of marketing for the Rainmaker.fm podcast network, Jared Morris, paid me a visit this week to talk about his beginnings as a writer, podcaster, and digital marketer. Mr. Morris started out online as a humble sports blogger, became the editor of a high-traffic sports blog that was tapped by Fox Sports. His blogging has directly led to quite a few opportunities for the writer, including the co-founding of a WordPress hosting company, leading the editorial team for copyblogger.com, launching and co-hosting multiple top-ranked podcasts, and becoming the VP of Marketing for the Rainmaker Podcast Network, to name a few. On the eve of the launch of his new showrunner podcasting course, we had a chance to talk shop. In this file, Jared and I discuss how sports blogging led to a host of opportunities, a simple writing hack for email marketers, why writing makes you a better podcaster, how scheduling greatly increases your productivity, why writers need to embrace their imperfections, and some very wise words from Teddy Roosevelt. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating or a review in iTunes to help other writers find us. Thanks for listening. Jared Morris, welcome to the Writer Files. Thank you so much for dropping by, my friend. Thank you, Kelton. It is my pleasure. I have wanted to be on the show since you launched it. The illustrious and animated Jared Morris. Let's talk a little bit about you as the author. For listeners who might not know your story, who are you and what is your area of expertise as a writer? Well, as you said, my name is Jared. And I have been writing 
really my whole life. Like I, I remember back in elementary school, I was always writing short stories and I thought for a long time that I wanted to be a novelist, write fiction stories, but I grew up with a very strong sports background. So that quickly morphed into sports writing and was editor of my high school paper, was planning on going into journalism when I got into college, but I went for my orientation and there was a sports marketing and management degree. I decided to do that and then switched it again a year later and thought I was going to be a big screenwriter in Hollywood. And remember the first Project Greenlight, the very, very first one that they ever did? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that one. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> My buddy and I, we, uh, the guy that I was living with, we had created a production company. And so we wrote our screenplay. And for about three years there, we were... We were committed to the life of a screenwriter. And then I remember reading somewhere, I don't remember who said it, but they said, if you can imagine yourself being happy doing something else, do it. Because the only real way that you'll ever survive, you know, being a screenwriter in that type of industry is if you just burn the bridges and it's the only thing that you could do. And I didn't really feel like that. And so I ended up, you know, kind of getting away from writing for a little bit, uh, but Soon thereafter, was back in it and, and got back into it with sports blogging, actually. My, my dormant love of writing about sports was rekindled and started a site called Midwest Sports Fans, which actually ended up leading to the development of the hosting platform that ended up leading to coming over and joining Copyblogger. And yeah. I've been really fortunate with Copyblogger to get the chance to, to do a lot of writing and get paid for writing, which really what I always wanted to do in some form or fashion. <laughs> so... It, it happened, not necessarily how I thought it would happen, but it has happened. Yeah. So you were the co-founder and editor of a pretty high traffic sports blog. And it, was it picked up by Fox? Is that what I read? Yeah, it was part of the Yard Barker Network. And then as part of that, we became one of Fox's kind of featured blog publishers. And so they actually they had a little widget on the front page of their site. And we were one of the sites that they always kept a link from one of our stories in there you know, posted our bracketology stories. And so they, they liked what we were doing because I think at that time, sports blogging was, I mean, it was still very much the wild, wild west. I mean, this was really before SB Nation was even big and there were just so many independent sites out there. I think we separated ourselves with our quality and really just kind of being measured and not always going for the, I don't know, not just going for the viral story or the... Mm -hmm you know, kind of the sophomoric tilt on it, <laughs> you know, trying to be actually respectful to the subjects. Yeah. So, yeah, which was, it was a really fun experience. I mean, I look back on it now and I realize there were some opportunities that we probably missed by staying independent, but at the same time, it also presented other opportunities because without that, maybe we don't develop the hosting platform. And yeah. Who knows uh, what basement of my mom's I'm blogging in then. <laughs> so where, <laughs> where can we find your writing presently? Well, right now, you can, you can certainly find my writing on Copyblogger. One of my side project sites is called Primility, and I do a lot of my other writing there. And really, I haven't, you know, most of the writing I do now isn't public. I write a lot of emails, you know, whether it's for our Copyblogger, you know, email blasts that we send for lists on my side projects, or even just, you know, like I just got done writing an autoresponder for the showrunner course, actually. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing a lot more of that kind of writing, which is more, more specialized, more kind of segmented for specific lists, that kind of thing, which has been a really interesting transition, uh, but one that I really, really like. I love the art of writing an email. Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad that I've really been able to kind of zero in, especially over these last six months and really get a lot more experience doing that. And what else are you presently working on? Well, in addition to the showrunner, we've got, and it should be out by the time this is released, but it's basically the four essential elements of a podcast. Uh, When you sign up for the email list at showrunner.fm, you'll get this dripped out over about a week's time. Really excited about that. And I'm actually on one of my other projects called The Assembly Call. I'm taking the Rainmaker Learning Management System and kind of molding it into my own my own format. So I'm taking it and it's not a course like we would normally do at Rainmaker FM, but it's basically a course on the 50 greatest players in IU history. And so I'm really excited about that, which is giving me the opportunity to do to kind of get back into the sports writing a little bit and basically write about all the players that I grew up watching and hearing about. So I'm quite excited about that and to to get it released, which hopefully will happen in mid-August. That's fantastic. And there is something to be said about the art of of writing email for sure. And and I think um, online publishers and especially content marketers and email marketers should follow that model. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the funny thing is sometimes if I get stuck when I'm writing, I've found that just putting a name at the top, addressing it to someone really helps me because I mean, we all have heard, you know, if you're writing to everybody, you're really writing to no one. You really want to pick out a specific person, really know who you're writing to. And even if it's a blog post, I mean, if I get stuck just putting, you know, Kelton comma and just imagining that I'm writing it directly to you, which is what we do with emails, yeah. has always really helped me get unstuck for any writing project. So that's my little hack, my little writer's hack. I like that. So let's talk about a little bit more about productivity. How much time per day would you say you're putting in to just clacking away? On just writing or actually doing the research for the writing? Or does it all, does it all go together? <laughs> Yeah. How much time are you putting in to research and writing and all of that good stuff? Yeah. I mean, many, many hours. I mean, it's, it's really, it's a lot of what my job is. Now it's interesting because a lot of what I do now is creating audio content, which isn't necessarily research and it's not writing, but it requires doing both of those. I find that the subjects that I'm able to speak well about on a podcast are probably subjects that I've written about because the writing has helped me to clarify my thoughts on those subjects and I'm able to to speak about them much better. And if I really struggle talking about a specific topic, I'll go back and write about it, which will really help me, again, just get the clarity, organize the thoughts in my head. And really, you know, if I'm not writing, if I'm not, you know, either doing an interview or creating some kind of audio content, you know, or, or in a meeting with one of our colleagues at Copyblogger, it's reading and research, you know, which can be listening to podcasts, reading blog posts, reading books. Yeah. Because I find that, you know, if you're writing a lot, if you're creating a lot of podcasts or any type of content, the well runs dry pretty quickly. And so you've got to keep replenishing that with new ideas and new perspectives so that you continue to have new and, and better perspectives and more nuanced perspectives to deliver to your audience. So you're just a content machine over there, basically. Kind of, yeah, and I love it. I mean, I think I'm, I counted up, I'm hosting like five podcasts right now. Oh my gosh. And, and you know, it's funny, I've actually found that since I actually committed to doing more things, but really scheduled them, so I've become more productive. What I mean by that is I had a couple podcasts I was doing on the side, but I didn't necessarily have a set schedule for them. Mm. So I would constantly be worried about, okay, when am I going to you know, schedule this next one? What's the next topic? And it was the same thing for some newsletters that I was writing for some of these sites. I didn't have a schedule. 
And as soon as I said, okay, I'm sending a newsletter out every Monday morning. This podcast is being recorded every Tuesday at noon. This one is every Monday. And it, w- it was a lot more content. And yet I've become a lot more productive because it's like I'm freed from the worry and just the consternation. And it, I'm just free to actually just go create the content because it's like, hey, I'm showing up and I'm creating something. And it's just allowed me to really do it with more peace of mind and do it just in a much more productive, efficient way. Yeah. So do you find that you have a most productive time of day and or locale? I mean, I know you're in the studio a lot. Yeah. You know, my most productive time of day was actually a couple days ago when my dog woke me up at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) and I went back and laid down for about 10 minutes and I just, I couldn't get back to sleep. And you probably had this happen to you and Oh, yeah. You'll be there and you're like, okay, but I need sleep. I've got to lay down because my alarm wasn't set for like 5, 5.30. You know, I almost was just going to fight through it and just be stubborn and say, no, I'm going to stay here, try to sleep. But then I was like, screw it. Why am I going to lay here in bed when I'm not doing anything? So I got up and, you know, and had the basically the about three hours of bonus time to work. And I was incredibly productive. And mm. I actually find that whenever I do that, I'm really, really productive. The problem is, of course, I crashed later, ended up getting a headache later <laughs> in the day. So it, it didn't end well. Right. But those moments, either really late at night or really early in the morning, when I'm you know, really jazzed about something, yeah. that's definitely the most productive time. But on a normal day, most productive first thing in the morning or actually in the early evening. Uh, and there's always a lull, you know, kind of right after lunchtime or in the early afternoon. It's not really from, you know, like eating a big lunch and getting sluggish or anything. It's, I don't know, for some reason, you know, those times are just better for me to get up and go for a walk or go do something because I just find that I kind of struggle to maintain the focus all throughout the day. But if I break it up a little bit, I'm much better at the beginning and the end. Absolutely. So when you're there in the office or, or elsewhere, do you go to coffee shops at all? Sometimes. And every time I do, I'm really productive. And I say, why don't I do this more? But <laughs> I don't know. Ever since I started working from home, this, this inertia has been created that it kind of takes a lot for me to get out of the house because I always think, well, I'll be more productive if I'm here and if I don't waste the time driving. But it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes it's worth it to get out and that investment of the time actually makes me more productive. But I do like going when I actually can force myself to get out. Are you a headphone guy? Do you like to listen to music or do you prefer that kind of quiet? I used to, but I can't do it anymore, especially if I'm writing. I've either got to be in a coffee shop type place where there's ambient noise or I've got to have silence. Like I can't do the music anymore. You know, even if Heather's in the other room watching TV, you know, I've got to ask her to turn it down because it'll just, I've just found it a lot harder to write with any type of distraction like that. Again, the ambient noise I can do, but music, anything like that, I just, I can't do it anymore. I don't know why. So do you believe in writer's block? I, I mean, yes, I believe in it in as much as I think that there are times when you know that you need to write something or you want to write something and you sit in front of the screen and nothing comes out. So, I mean, I believe it's a thing, but I don't believe it's an excuse. I mean, I think when that happens, you've just got to fight through it and you've got to learn whatever it is for you that helps you get past it. For me... One of the, strangely enough, one of the things that's helped me, you know, when writer's block happens, move right past it, is actually hosting live shows. Like I host a live post game show for 
Indiana basketball games and for showrunner huddles, which we do inside of the showrunner course, we host these live huddles. And what's great about that is it's really taught me that when you hit that start broadcast button and the green light goes on, you got to go. You got to have something. So <laughs> whether you're prepared or not, or you know exactly what you're going to say at the beginning, the light is on. And a lot of times I'm hosting these. So it's up to me to direct where we go. Otherwise, people are just going to be staring at this awkward guy sitting in a chair and not doing anything. And I try as much as I can to basically just kind of take that same principle to when I'm writing and just go. You know, it's not going to be perfect. And the great thing with writing is no one else has to see it and you can edit it. So I think that's really helped me to just be okay, just going kind of embracing the imperfection that's going to be inevitable and realizing that at least with writing, I'll have a chance to revise. That's not always the case hosting a live show. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about workflow some. What I know I've seen seen pictures of your setup there on, on Twitter, but what hardware are you using? So I have a MacBook Air, which I like quite a bit. And my favorite and the, the most beneficial piece of equipment that I have is from this company called Gold Touch, and it's a laptop stand. And so it basically allows you to stand your laptop screen up so it's right at eye level. And it helps not just with kind of the neck and back issues because I'm not constantly bending down to look at the screen, but it's actually helped me a lot for the video work that I do. It gives a much better angle for the recording because it's straight on. Mm -hmm. And so I use that. I just plug an Apple keyboard into it and it's nice. It folds up real nicely so I can take it on the road with me. And so that, and then of course, I've always got my microphone here on the desk so that I can hop on to impromptu recordings. Uh, I can't, pretty much every day I'm recording something, either someone else's show or one of my own shows. So hmm. I don't really take the setup down. I just keep it here, yeah. always ready to go. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. 
It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So for general workflow and writing, et cetera, what uh, software do you find yourself using the most? I grew up with Microsoft Word and <laughs> I've given, you know, Pages and Scrivener and all of these other, you know, programs a try. But I have settled on the most blank, sparse, bare bones text editor as what I like writing with. I just find that I like, you know, and, and actually, and I used to write a lot in the back end of WordPress as well. But I found that when I would do that, I would constantly be, you know, stopping to add links or add images, and I would just get distracted. Hmm. And when I'm inside of a text document, it's just the words, and yeah. there's no, you know, there's no, and I'll leave myself a little notes in there if I need to get a link or whatever. But I find that I just get so much more focused writing done when it's just the text document because it's just me, the white space, and my ideas. And it helps me to really get clarity with what I'm trying to say. It reminds me of a, of a an era past when writers used to have to put paper into a machine, and it was just paper and mm -hmm. the typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Simpler times. Yes. Yes. So, do you have some methods of madness for kind of staying organized over there with all of your multiple projects and podcasts and whatnot? That's a really good question. I constantly feel unorganized. I'm not really good at using a to-do list and keeping it. I'm stubbornly trying. I'm committed to getting better at it. But I find, you know, my calendar is really, really helpful. I mean, I try and keep everything on the calendar so that at least I don't miss any important meetings that I have scheduled. And that helps. And then, you know, other than that, I just, I try and keep my inbox as clean as possible. I try and clean that out every day if I can. Not always able to do it, but I try to do that. I find if my inbox is cluttered and if the desktop on my computer is cluttered, I feel cluttered. Hmm. So at least a couple times a week, and you know, ironically, I save everything to my desktop, so it automatically gets cluttered. But you know, at least a couple times a week, I just have to go through, clear out the inbox, clear off the desktop, my computer desktop, and then my actual desktop as well, and just kind of get a little bit of a reset. Hmm. Because that's something that I feel like I constantly fight is being a little disorganized, feeling a little disorganized. And so I've got to constantly take steps back and just make sure that nothing's slipping through the cracks. But I'm not efficient at it by any means. So if people have great tips, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to open up the tip line. <laughs> yeah. 1-800-JARED organizational <laughs> hacks. I don't know. That was, yeah. that wasn't going anywhere. So I think you covered this already, but do you, do you have a best practice for beating procrastination? Yeah. I mean, the first is just acknowledging it. Uh, I used to beat myself up for procrastinating a lot and I don't know, feel like there was something wrong with me. Like I was the only person procrastinating. And I think understanding that it's quite universal has really helped me to at least remove the self-loathing part from it. <laughs> and so I just acknowledge that it's happening and try and figure out why it's happening. If I don't, you know, I may be procrastinating because I'm afraid of a particular project because I don't know where to start. And so I try and break it up. You know, maybe I'm procrastinating because I'm just not excited about something. And so maybe this is something that I need, you know, that someone else should be doing and I can trade with them or I need to find a, a different angle to get excited about it. So I really try and 
try and have some level of self-awareness for why the procrastination is. And if it's just because I feel like procrastinating, then I try and indulge it for five, 10 minutes and then get right back at it. But I just, I found I used to spend so much time kind of beating myself up for it that then it would just kind of self-perpetuate. But simply just accepting it, acknowledging it, and then just not allowing it to go on too long has really helped. How do you unplug at the end of a long day? You know, it depends on the time of year. If it's basketball season, then unplugging for me at the end of a long day is turning on an IU basketball game and then basically working for five or six more hours, but loving it, (laughs) you know, watching the game, live tweeting, hosting the show, posting the show. It's a flurry of activity and I love every minute of it. But for the most part, it's going for a walk, you know, when Heather will get home. Now, she's been traveling a lot lately, so I haven't been able to do this, and I'm not as good at taking the initiative to go do it on my own. But when she's home, we always try to go for a walk at the end of the day, just talk about our days, talk about what's going on, and get a little bit of physical activity, and then come home, make some dinner, and then watch a show, something like that. So, What's your favorite show right now? My favorite show right now is Rectify on the Sundance channel, Hmm. which we stumbled upon totally out of the blue on Netflix. And it was really short first season, I think only five or six episodes. But it's in the the first episode, I I wasn't really bought into it, but it gets really good. And obviously a lot of people don't know it because it's on the Sundance channel, but it's a really, really good show. Just a quick pause to mention that The Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm slash platform. All right, let's talk a little bit about creativity. Yes. Can you define creativity in your own words? To me, creativity is just finding a different way to look at something. And it's interesting because actually I have this debate with Heather because she thinks that she's not a creative person. And she'll tell me, you're so creative and I'm not. And she, you know, she works in the, in the financial industry. And so she doesn't work in an industry that you typically think of as creative because she's not you know, writing a story or creating a piece of artwork. But yet she's extremely creative when it comes to seeing a process and finding a better way to do it and identifying something that's going on over here and a way that that can be improved or how this can be shifted around, you know, that kind of creative problem solving, creative thinking. And so I think creativity to me, is really a lot more broad than how we sometimes think of it. And so I think it's just, you know, it's not even necessarily, quote unquote, creating something new. I think you can be creative by amalgamating things that already exist, but in a new way. So I think it's just having a unique way that you look at things and then a unique way that you can then communicate that so that someone else can have an opportunity to share your view. So when do you personally feel most creative? Three o'clock in the morning after my dog wakes me up. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your creative muse? Your puppy? He sometimes is. (laughs) I feel the most creative when I am just genuinely into a topic. And maybe that's kind of an easy answer. But, you know, I think we all have things that we have to do in our work days or in our personal life, whatever, that we just have to do because we have to do them. And they're, they're not necessarily the things that we're the most excited about. But it's like taking on a project like the 50 greatest Hoosiers of all time. You know, I feel incredibly creative when it comes to that because I'm passionate about the topic. It's fun. 
and it's not something that I'm trying to check off of a to-do list. I try and find more ways to get it on the to-do list. I think creating the showrunner course was the same way. You know, it was an incredibly fun and just creativity-fueled experience to go from nothing to saying, okay, we want to teach people this concept of a showrunner, how to be a showrunner, and how to create great shows. You know, so what kind of modules do we need? What kind of lessons? How can we make it fun? How can we make it different? And because I'm passionate about the topic, then there's just creativity flowing through everything that I was doing with that. So, you know, time of day can be all different times. I mean, I can feel creative, you know, having stayed up 36 hours if I'm really excited about what I'm doing. So I think it's just when you have something you're passionate about, I think creativity naturally comes because you're fully engaged. And so you're going to see it in a different way and draw connections that if you were distracted or only half paying attention or just kind of going through the motions, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't draw, you wouldn't see. Hmm. Yeah. Darren Russ said something very similar to that, which I love. So in your opinion, what makes a writer great? What makes a writer great? It's a wonderful question. I think the ability to, you know, really just the ability to distill an idea to a reader in a way that is meaningful to the reader. Because I think, I think that's what writing is. And, and when I think about when I have felt best about something I've written, it's because even to this person who I didn't see or didn't know, I felt the strong sense of empathy even while writing that I understood you know, what they needed or how this piece that I was creating could really impact them. And then I was able to do it and do it in as few words as possible. <laughs> I will always tend towards appreciating writers who are good at brevity because I tend to be very long-winded. Hmm. So maybe I give undue credit for that skill. But I think the ability to do that and really impact somebody in as few words as possible. And, and I mean, that, you know, it could take, you know, 300 words in a book. I mean, it, you know, there's no, that's all relative. But I think just being able to really, to really empathize and really take an experience that you've had, knowledge that you have, a perspective you have, or just a story in your head and create that with words to someone else in a way that impacts them. That's what makes a writer great. Yeah. I keep coming back to that um, classic, the writer runs this show. And I can't help but kind of uh, put those two together, the showrunner and just how many great writers we actually work with but I've completely gone off the rails here. So do you have any favorite authors at the moment? I do. That's a hard question to narrow down. I actually just got done reading The Martian by Andy Weir, who was a recent guest on, uh, on Authorpreneur by Jim Cukrell. Yes. And I have, I've never been a sci-fi fan, but I really, really enjoyed that book. And now I'm reading, now this is another re- recommendation that Tony Clark made to me, actually, The, the First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. Hmm. which is it's a really interesting book and a very interesting take on time travel that I'm reading and quite quite uh quite excited about that. You know, and then other than that, I've been I've been so focused lately on on doing online reading. It's actually it's one of those things where, you know, you get so busy and you realize, "Damn, I haven't been picking up enough books lately." You know, and so you got to start kind of scheduling at least for me anyway. I know, you know, someone like Damien, you know, he lives inside books. I have to kind of schedule it more because I feel like I spend so much time listening to podcasts and you know, and reading online. And I'm, I'm glad that I've been able to do that. Uh, and I just uh, bought 
Oh, I'm going to... David, is it David McCullough? The guy who wrote 1776 and John Adams? I've been on a pretty big history kick lately, uh, and obviously he's one of the most renowned authors of history that there is. So I, I quite enjoy his work as well. Excellent. I'm not familiar, but we will find the correct spelling for you. Yeah, I'm looking around to see if I have the book in my office, but I don't. So do you have a best loved quote? I do. And I wish, I need to commit this to memory, but I don't have it by memory. And if you can tell, I'm stalling <laughs> so that I can look it up. But I actually, it's a quote that I used in a recent post on Copyblogger. And it is by Theodore Roosevelt, who says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I just, I love everything about that quote, because it gets kind of at the essence of what we really try and instill in people in the showrunner. And I know some people have even criticized us for being too simplistic when we talk about this, but just the power and the, the compounding power over time of showing up, of stepping into the arena, whether it's to write, whether it's to produce a podcast, whether it's playing a sport, whatever you do, but to actually show up, put yourself on the line, put something out there and risk judgment, risk loss, risk failure, because it's the only way that you can actually have a chance at success and great gain and great victory. And people, you know, obviously it opens you up to criticism. And there's a lot of people who like to criticize the people who were there in the arena. But ultimately, like Theodore Roosevelt said, it's the person who's in the arena who matters. And I, I try as much as I can to not be the critic who is criticizing, but to be the person who's actually in the arena. And I think it's something that we can all benefit from no matter what our arena may be. That's outstanding. I will link to that post as well on the uh, show notes. Well, thank you. So a uh, couple fun ones. Do you have a favorite literary character? A favorite literary character? That's a good question as well. Why is Walter White the only name that's coming into my head? <laughs> that that that's works. so sad. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not. Why thinking about him? We love a good anti-hero. Well, yeah, he is certainly that. He's certainly compelling. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't get, uh, I can't get Walter White out of my head. I'm gonna go with him, and you know, and I like him for just the many, I don't know, just the many contradictions. Because I, I, by the end of that show, I was not rooting for him. I wanted him to fail, and yet there was something that was so compelling about him and his story. Yeah, if you could choose one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, where uh, would you go and with whom? Another great question. It's funny, uh, Johnny Nastro actually asked Damien and I this question on a recent episode of The Lead. I would choose John Adams, second president John Adams, who wrote a lot, you know, was a journaled, you know, wrote letters to his wife Abigail, obviously wrote many of the documents that proved to be foundational in the founding of the United States. And he is a really interesting character to me because a lot of times he 
gets kind of not not cast aside, but he certainly gets overshadowed by George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, a lot of the other guys who were big personalities at the time and continue to be today. But he was such an interesting character in that he was so smart, so opinionated, you know, and really and kind of irascible in a lot of ways and so could rub people the wrong way. And yet when you, you know, when you read letters that he wrote to his wife and his private journals and saw what he actually did, there was a great humility there that, that was evident. And I think, and that's what's always kind of drawn me to him is this character of immense pride who yet kind of combined that with humility to really be, I mean, one of the most influential people in the entire history of the country, whether or not he's, and, and, and he certainly is recognized as that for the most part. But I think he, sometimes his contributions do go overshadowed a little bit too much as well. Have you seen the, I think it's Paul Giamatti portrayal? You know, I actually, I haven't watched that yet. I read the book and Heather and I have been meaning to watch that. And that's, I think it's second up in our, in our uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to watch it. Jared, do you have a writer's fetish? Not really. I'm trying to think if there's anything that could be considered a fetish. You're not rubbing a rabbit's foot over there every time you ride a... <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, I have, I have lots of kind of sports fetishes. Like, I've always been kind of uh, superstitious about sports stuff. You know, like I have special shoes that I'll wear for the biggest games and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's never... It's not anything I've ever really applied to writing or to anything professionally. Much more sports-related. So who would you say has been your greatest teacher? I would say just experience. I think, unfortunately, I tend to be someone that's got to do something to learn it. Like, I'm not great at just reading something and internalize it. I've got to read it and put it into practice to really learn it. And so, I mean, certainly I've been really fortunate to have incredible mentors at every step along the way. I mean, all the way back to teachers in elementary school and high school and coaches and my parents and different people that I've worked with since then. And, but I find that even the best lessons they teach me, a lot of times I've got to go mess it up or do it on my own or apply it in practice to really learn it. And maybe that's, everybody has to do that to a certain extent. But I think just experience, just doing, and just, you know, going out and getting my hands dirty with something uh, is really, you know, I certainly don't always feel comfortable doing it because when you're doing that, you're opening yourself up to failure. But I feel the most confident that that act will actually lead me to learning something useful that I can apply in the future. Do you have any advice for your fellow scribes on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? Yeah, I think it's really to understand the importance of being authentic in what we're doing. And by that, I mean understanding whether what you're writing or the project you're working on, is it something that you're really passionate about, that you're interested in? Is it the kind of thing that you would talk about for three hours at a bar with a friend? Is it the kind of thing that if your dog woke you up at three o'clock in the morning that you would immediately think about going and doing? And I think if you have not found that yet, to work to find that. Because I think being true to yourself is really the first step in authenticity. And the next step is then for whatever it is that this topic is about, really thinking about the people that you're creating content for, you know, whether it's a reader of your story, a viewer of your video, a listener to your show, whoever it is, 
really think about where they are when they're going to consume this piece of content. You know, are they just looking to get entertainment out of it? Are they looking to achieve something because of advice you're giving? What are their obstacles? What are their goals? And really try and find that intersection between the experiences and the perspectives that you bring to the table and what can deliver value in whatever its form to them. Because I think when you do that, you know, you're getting intrinsic value out of the actual act of the writing and the creating no matter what. But you also have that extra bit of confidence and that extra bit of positive feedback that comes from creating something that is well-received by people. And not just that it, you know, it doesn't get criticized, but that it's meaningful to the people that it's supposed to be meaningful for. Because when it is, then it can be criticized by other people and you don't care. You've got that shield of armor up from loving what you're doing and impacting the people that you care about. And so I think when you can really identify those, those things in whatever it is, I think it'll create a long-term love affair with writing and with content creation that can carry you through and really lead to the creation of some great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of brings me, well, I'll go off script here for a second and kind of circle back to podcasting because I think it's pertinent at least that, you know, you kind of started out as a a fiction writer and an aspiring screenwriter, as did I. And here we are speaking to one another on a podcast. Yeah. Would you say that all the experience that you've had writing, all of the different facets and different pieces that you've put together have helped you and your podcasting? Without question. I think back in the day when we were studying screenwriting, you know, reading story by Robert McKee, right? And learning about the elements of a story, whether you're applying that to screenwriting or anything, that's going to be helpful. I think, you know, having a journalism background and learning about the importance of you know, the five W's and, and, and getting to the point and how to, how to be economical in how you tell a story and how to really find out what the story is, is important. And then, you know, and then I think all, all the other experiences, I mean, you know, just the, the experience of being tasked to write emails and really having to get into who you're writing that email to, it's no different than when you're creating a podcast episode and you sit down and say, okay, who am I speaking to here? Who is the person who's going to be receiving this? I mean, that's a podcast is just a spoken letter to a person, you know, and you could say that uh, an email is just a written podcast in a lot of ways. And so I think all of those things really come together and I think can really help you. And so I think for anybody, you know, the more varied experience that you can get it's going to help you in everything that you do. I mean, you know, when I started the assembly call doing the silly live post game show for IU games, I never had any thought that this could actually be a great lesson for my career. And yet I've probably learned more from that project than I have from almost anything else that I've done because, you know, it's forced me to get comfortable doing this live broadcast. And it taught me on my own you know, without piggybacking on other people's audiences that have been created, how to go from absolute scratch to not just creating a site that was driving traffic, but a site that was driving engagement and really building an actual audience. And so all of those things, you know, come together and, you know, writing, podcasting, whatever content you're creating, they're going to help, help you be better at creating nuanced content, more rich content, and just content that delivers more to the audience. Very nice. I hope that answered your question. It did. So, Mr. Morris, where can fellow scribes connect with you out there? A great place to connect is on Twitter, at Jared Morris. That's a wonderful place. And for anybody who is 
interested in show running. And even if they're not somebody who necessarily wants to podcast, but is just interested in the idea of using content to build an audience and, and connect with that audience and, and create something bigger for an audience to be a part of, then I would recommend connecting on the showrunner. You can go to showrunner.fm and our email list is right there. You'll get the autoresponder series, the four essential elements of a remarkable podcast, which are really the four essential elements of just a remarkable piece of content. And one thing Johnny and I are adamant about with people on the email list is that if you send us an email, have a question, a thought, anything, you know, we're going to read it, we're going to respond. We love interacting in there in that email format. So you know, for anybody who, who wants to do that, that's, a, that's probably the best place to connect if you want to really have a meaningful connection. Jared, thank you so much for stopping by the Writer Files. And I do encourage writers to podcast. And I think Showrunner is a good place to start. The URL again is? Uh, showrunner.fm. Pretty easy one. Yeah, for the email list. And we actually, when this comes out, actually will be the day that we're launching the course as well. So the Showrunner podcasting course. And you can go to showrunnercourse.com uh, if you're interested in getting more information about that too. Outstanding. Thanks again for um, all of your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelton. This is great. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into the Writer Files. I look forward to checking out your own writerly podcasts. And for more episodes of the show and all of the show notes, or to leave us a comment or question, drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there. <laughs>